Yes, Lord. This is holy ground. We're standing on holy ground. For the Lord is here, and where he is, is holy. This is holy ground. We're standing on holy ground. For the Lord is present, and where he is, is holy. We are standing on holy And I know that there are angels all around. <laughs> Let us pray, Jesus, now. We are standing in his presence on holy ground. Can we sing it one more time? Let us praise. Let us praise Jesus now. We are standing in his presence on holy ground. Hallelujah, Lord. Well, good evening, church. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's go to James chapter 5 this evening. And we're going to read verse 1 through 11, James chapter 5. And I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Version tonight. As the team's making their way off the stage, can we thank the Lord for our worship team that's leading us into the very throne room of God? And when he just comes, we have to acknowledge him and thank him and thank those that allow the Lord to flow through them. So James chapter 5, we're going to read verse 1 through 11. It's amplified, so it's a little bit wordy, okay? I'm told that the, a lady translated the amplified. That's what I'm told. I'm, I'm told that because it's wordy. You may not have me back at Beulah, but that's, that's humor. Come on, church. Um, but James chapter 5, verse 1 through 11 reads, Come now. You rich people, weep aloud and lament over the miseries, the woes that are surely coming upon you. Your abundant wealth has rotten and is ruined, and your many garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are completely rusted through, and the rust will be testimony against you and it will devour your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped together treasures for the last days. But look, here are the wages that you have withheld by fraud from the laborers who have reaped your fields. Crying out for vengeance and the cries of the harvesters have come to the ears of the Lord of hosts. Here on earth, you have abandoned yourselves to soft prodigal living and to the pleasures of self-indulgence self and self-gratification. 
You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and have murdered the righteous, innocent man, while he offers no resistance to you. So be patient, brethren, as you wait till the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits expectantly for the precious harvest from the land. See how he keeps up his patient vigil over it until he receives the early and latter rains. So you must also be patient. Establish your hearts, strengthen and confirm them in the final certainty. For the coming of the Lord is very near. Say the coming of the Lord is very near. Do not complain, brethren, ouch, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Look, the judge is already standing at the very door. Say the judge is already standing at the very door. As an example of suffering and ill treatment together with patience, brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as his messengers. You know how we call those blessed happy who are steadfast, who endure, who have heard of, the, you have heard of the endurance of Job and you have seen the Lord's purpose and how he richly blessed him in the end. In as much as the Lord is full of pity and compassion and tenderness and mercy. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is from the book of James. On Sunday morning, I was in uh, James chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 13 to 6, and we ended there. But I wanted to start here in James chapter 5. But I want to say this as we jump into the teaching tonight. The book of James is considered the New Testament book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. It's just practical advice to help us live a Christian life. James wrote this to believers to who were Jews that were scattered abroad, and he was giving them some instruction and some wisdom in how to live their life. Now, if you read the book of, of, of James, you're going to see a lot of wisdom from God through his servant James. Like when you're going through a trial, what to do? One of the wisdom words or proverbs is like, if you're lacking wisdom, you should what? Ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to you, James chapter 1, verse 5. Or like we mentioned on Sunday morning, if any of you are in trouble, you should what? Pray. And if you're happy, you should what? Sing praises to God, James 5, 13. So we see practical wisdom for everyday life. We also see him giving instruction of how to deal with difficult people. Help me, somebody. Anybody ever deal with difficult people? You don't know what to do? Go to the book of James. Come on, somebody. He will give you practical advice. Okay, let's go here. What about your mouth? He gives advice on how to handle the mouth. Come on, somebody. So we shouldn't just say, well, it's just my personality my, my, for my mouth to say whatever. No, there's wisdom in the book of James of how to control our mouth by the help of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you're not helping me preach, and I will be here all night. You better help me preach. You want to get to church on time. But there's also instruction for rich people. How to live your life, how to carry out the affairs of life. And this is where we're going to tabernacle. This is where we're going to tabernacle at even tonight. Like he's giving some instruction to rich people that were taking advantage of their servants, of their people they, they hired. And he's dealing with this. Even they were taking people to court unjustly and taking people to court that couldn't even, hand, couldn't even afford to go to court. But there's really practical wisdom in this book. And I love the book of James. Say, Mo loves the book of James. It's just full of wisdom for everyday life. Now, when you get to chapter five, as I mentioned, he is, he's speaking about rich people. And he's giving some real good advice of paying attention, looking carefully, and he's using the analogy of a farmer. 
you gotta understand this was the they, they were used to farming agriculture this was a part of their, their world so they understood it you know it might not work for us today to use that as an analogy but that's the analogy James you because he was wanting to make a point like watch the farmer observe the farmer look how patient he is and James was wanting us to display those same kind of characteristics in our life but also in our relationship with the Lord or even as we're waiting for God to come through for us especially when we've been treated unjustly and unfair waiting for God to come through for us and not taking matters into your own hands. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted to take matters into my own hands. Sometimes I'm tempted to help the Holy Ghost out. Anybody here want to sometimes help the Lord out? Right? Lord, you take a vacation. I'll handle this. Okay, I'm the only one. Okay, let's keep going. All right. So he's speaking about a harvest. And the harvesters are crying out for vengeance. Because what's happening is... The people are working very hard, but they're, they're not getting the wages they're, they're, they're due. They're being robbed. Fraud. You know, it's like stolen identity. Fraud. And there's a crying out for vengeance. The cry, the, verse 4 says, The cries of the harvester have come to the ears of the Lord. The wages that are withheld, they're crying out for justice, for vengeance. And what I thought about is like the Israelites when they were in slavery, crying out. And this is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 9. The Israelites are crying out because they're working hard. They're being treated unfairly. Pharaoh's getting meaner and meaner and even takes the, the bricks from them. They got to now make bricks from straw. And their, their cry goes up to the Lord. And the Lord hears their cry and responds. And we know he raised up Moses and they go to the promised land. But, but that was what, 400 and how many years? 50 years of crying out. But the Lord heard their, their cry. And he will respond in his time. That's why God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. So what are we supposed to do when God says, I'll repay? <laughs> you got to keep reading Romans chapter 12. In one of my Bibles, I spent over a year in Romans chapter 12. So it's, 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 the pages are, are crinkly from tears. This is no joke. Because God gives an antidote to when we want to get vengeance. God gives us an antidote when he says, wait on me, I'll repay. And the antidote is, which we don't want to hear, is bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. This is verse 14 of Romans chapter 12. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Now, that looks all sanctified and holy. But when you've got some enemies, you ain't thinking about blessing them now you might bless them but you want to do the five-fold ministry you want to help the holy ghost so right five-fold ministry you with me five, one two three four five-fold ministry we want to help him out our first response normally is not to pray our our first response is not normally to bless okay i'm uh, are, are, are we are you with me right the antidote when, when, when we feel like something has been done against us. Paul gives an antidote what our response should be. Even James gives a response. Wait, don't react. Wait, respond like, wait. And Paul says, bless those who persecute. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. We tend to want to curse them and have someone else pray for them. I looked up the word bless, and it's where we get our English word eulogy from, eulogizing someone. And this is what it means in the Greek. It means, it means to praise, to celebrate with praise, to invoke blessings. Okay, I'm just going to pause. Like, I, you have to, I'm going to keep going, let me keep going. To consecrate a thing with solemn prayers, to ask God's blessing on a thing, to bestow blessing 
on them. This is the meaning of this word. It's not just, well, bless their heart. It means I want God's best for them. And Lord, work in my heart so that I desire, can pray the best for them. I can pray heaven to earth. And it may take a while. There might be a process, and we're going to talk about that tonight. But I'm here to tell you that only God can help us do this. Only God can help us pray like this. Like, we're always in a position, we always have the opportunity to rely upon the Holy Spirit. He will allow us to be in situations that we, we just in ourselves can't do it. That's why we need a Savior. That's why he got up from the grave. That's why he's sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. And he sent the Holy Spirit to help us do what we cannot do in of ourselves. And the Lord will never call you the Lord will never ask you, and the Lord will never invite you to do something. He will not give you the grace and the power and the ability to do it. It's, co it's contrary to who he is. We cannot say he's the same God of Mary, he's the same God of David and Moses, and not believe that he wants to help us the way he helped them. These are not just stories in a book. This is real life. And we are facing real life. And you have your own enemies today. They had their enemies. They had a Goliath. Like we said, we might not have a Goliath, but we have our own giants that need to come down in the name of the Lord. And David said, listen, you you uncircumcised Philistine. You may come at me with your sword, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. David knew who he was. David knew whose he was. That's why he could stand and say it. And that's why Goliath fell. So many times we're standing there in someone else's armor and of the equipment and the tool God has given us. And we wonder why we can't stand. We wonder why the giants don't fall. He didn't tell you to wear Saul's armor. He sees what's in your hand. He sees the slingshot. David was a skilled shepherd. He was, when his brothers were all doing their thing, he was on the backside of the desert where nobody seen him tending his father's sheep. But he was using what was in his hand. He was using that slingshot to fight off the bears and the lion. Then he got them in his hands. So when he got before Goliath, he was already prepared. We wait till we get up on the stage to be prepared. Honey, that's too late. We prepare ourselves when no one else is looking. So when they call for us, we get up there, we're ready to go, and we can be anointed, and we can slay the giants. That is not in my notes. That's for free. Let's keep going. I don't know about you, but it is not my normal, typical posture to always want to bless my enemies. Now, I'm a nice guy. Now, I, I have my issues, but you all got to agree, Mo's pretty nice, okay? I might get hangry once in a while. My wife will look at me and will say, baby, you got to eat. In 30 minutes, I'm back. Hallelujah. But typically, I'm nice. But still, the posture of my heart, my first inkling and resort is not to think a blessing and praying for my mind might think of how can I get even? Sometimes I don't want God's best for them. Can I keep it real, Peter? Sometimes I struggle when it looks like they're succeeding. Okay, let me just let me just go back to my notes. They're succeeding and I'm stuck. They're going and I'm here bleeding all over the place. But listen to verse four. The cries of the harvester have come to the ears of the Lord of hosts. Remember Sunday morning we talked about God hearing the cry of a raven? Now we're seeing he's hearing the cry of the harvesters, those that are working hard and nobody sees how hard they're working. Okay, let me just keep going. I feel my preach coming on. I'm, I'm trying to behave. You know, one lady came to me. She said, Pastor, Pastor Mo, when you, you start, I know if you're going to get that fire, the poor dance of your message on Sunday morning, you got the fire. I said, I was just gradually working my way to Beulah Camp again. Great. Hallelujah. Try and do my best. But there was a cry for justice. 
There's a cry for vengeance against unfair situations in their lives. And they were not in a position to do anything about it. They didn't have enough money to take these people to court. They would, they would have opposed, they would have lost their job. They hadn't, they, it wasn't working in their favor. But God was working in their favor. I, 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 I might feel preaching coming on, Peter. They were overworking, not getting proper compensation. Ooh. Working hard and not getting recognized. Staying in the kitchen, extra hours where everybody was in the tabernacle. Okay, let me keep going. You know, and so many times, you know, people are working and they're, they're not, you know, we, there's no praise until their funeral. District conference, we just had our district conference a few weeks ago and I was, I ran into one of our retired pastors who just retired this year in March. And I asked him how it was going, how retirement was. He was like, when I say beaming, he was beaming. And he said, Mo, it has been so good. Let me tell you what the church did for me. He said, they sent me off with, sent me off, me and my bride with a, with a celebration. And he said, they had people coming from all over the, all the churches that we pastored. They had people come in. I didn't even know it was a surprise. And he said, and they even bought me a truck. I said, well, praise God. And then he, but he didn't, he said, but you know what? The, the, the best thing for me was he had people speaking and talking about how my life impacted them and how our ministry impacted them. And he said, it blew me out of the water. And I would have that any day over the truck. And I said, that's good, you got them both. But this is what he said. I, I, I said, I'm saying this to you, what I said to my wife. I'm so glad I was here to hear it. And they weren't saying it over my casket. Like my mom says, we were talking to Andrea and Jeremy today. Like my mom always says, give me my flowers while I can smell them. There's something about acknowledging what people do and not taking it for granted, even in the church world. Okay, let me just keep going. All right. Verse five says, your, your, your hearts are fattened, which means greed. You got wealth at the expense of another person. But this is, this is what James says. He's speaking to these believers. He says, this is going on even with your life. But you get to verse 7, he says that God is going, the Lord's coming. And when he comes, he's going to make everything right. Now, think about it. This is in that day. The Lord hasn't come back yet. But he postured them to prepare their heart. So when he comes, they're going to be ready. And this is what he says. He says, be patient as you wait until the coming of the Lord. Why? Because then everything that's wrong is going to be made right. Everything that didn't get justice here, help me, Holy Ghost, is going to get justice there. Everything that didn't get worked out here is going to get worked out there. Okay, let me keep going. So he says this, look intently. And we talked about that looking at the raven, looking intently. Look at the farmer. Observe the farmer. This farmer waits expectantly for the precious harvest of the land. Guys, there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest for all your hard work for the Lord. You know, that's why it says don't, don't, don't give up. Because you're, you'll be rewarded. I'm going to keep going. He says, so... He says, look how he keeps his patient vigor. And then James says this, keep your patient vigor. In other words, don't quit. Don't lose heart. Don't get weary, no matter how hard it gets. Mm, 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 mm. And when I was working on this message, I thought of Luke chapter 18, verse 1, where Jesus is giving a parable and he's speaking to his disciples. And he says, listen, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Because he knew if you lose heart, it's all coming down. And he says, don't lose heart. And, and, and then this is beautiful idea that men are always to pray. So praying keeps us from fainting. 
But when we start feigning and getting wary, feigning and wary will keep us from praying. And so the enemy is wanting to wear out the saints. Now, I need you to understand that I had another message prepared. You understand that I had another, say, Pastor Mo had another message prepared. But the last few days, God has been stirring my heart. I, I just believe God's wanting to do something in our hearts, guys. And this is what the word of God says to you and I. We should not quit. And some of you might be feeling like quitting. And I'm here to tell you, do not quit. Observe and look at the farmer. Listen, the farmer does what he can do, but what he can't do, he has to trust the Lord. The Lord provides the sun. The Lord provides the water. Help me, somebody. The Lord provides the ground. You might have to do your part, but what you can't do, let the Lord do. Let the Lord fight those battles. You stay on your knees. Stop getting in the wrestling ring with the raw people. Get on your knees. Because praying keeps us from fainting. Keeps us from losing heart. It keeps us from becoming weary. And fainting, becoming weary will keep you from praying. So let's keep being patient. I love this idea, this analogy of the early rain and the latter rain. You know, the early rain came because it helped the, the seed, the ground to get ready for, for the planting and the, the seed to get in the ground, the seed to go down and germinate and bear, grow a harvest. It made farming easier. The latter rain was when the harvest was about to come in. It was the last rain before the harvest to make the harvest easier. You ever try to pull up weeds or do gardening when the ground is dry? It's a lot more work. You try to pull up weeds when the ground is dry. I like going over when it's still moist because you can get them from the roots. If not, you're just picking off the top and then a few days later, the weeds are back. But this idea of the early and the latter rain. It's like God's Holy Spirit working in our hearts while we wait so that our life bears good fruit while we wait like the remember the parable of the sower some 30 some 60 some 100 i don't want no 30 i don't want to be no 60 fold ground for god i want to be a hundred fold ground for god where my heart is always ripe and postured and prepared for him with a pure heart and a pure motive. Not just for what I can get from God, but so I can know him intimately because he's coming. Mm. He's coming. Um, this is no joke. He's coming and he's coming back for a prepared bride and a prepared people. He says, I'm coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And I'm telling you, if you ever had some wrinkled clothes, you got to apply some heat. And some of you are feeling some heat right now in your life because God is trying to get some wrinkles out of your life. You might need some spotted out because he's trying to get some spots out too. Okay, let me get, let me come. I forgot where I was at. I'll just forget. So you must be patient as you wait. Wait with expectancy, hope, and trust. Because waiting requires trust. Even though I can't see him, he's working. Even though I can't see it, he's working. And so what am I to do? Well, we're going to get there. The promise is, listen here, this is, this is beautiful. This is, goes along with what Andrea and actually, actually Andrea has been teaching us even in, in her teaching. He says this, so I, I put this in my notes, quitting is not an option. You may be tempted to quit, it's not an option. So, so this is what James says, so instead establish your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. And listen, he is speaking to a collective group. He's not just speaking to an individual Christian. He's speaking to a group of believers that have been scattered abroad. He's saying to them, establish your heart. And we do this in community. We do this together. Hmm. Strengthening each other. And I, and I thought about what you told the believers to what? 
Build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God and the mercy of God as you await the Lord's return. I thought about the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says, think of ways to motivate one another to good works, to love, and do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. And all the more do this as you discern and you know the return of the Lord is approaching. We do this together. We establish, we strengthen one another's hearts together. And I'm telling you, if you're by yourself, it's easier for your light to go out than when you're together. It's easier for the one emblem to go out than when you're together. Emblems help another emblem, and you have a fire that continues to burn in your heart. We are called to do life in community, not in isolation. Jesus practiced solitude. Jesus did not practice isolation. Isolation is I'm in self-protection mode. And we're called, we're designed to do life in community. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is an example of that. And if you've been hurt in community, you need to be healed in community. If you were wounded in community, you need to be healed in community. And the enemy's trying to work strategically to get you in isolation, get you out of community so you do not get the healing you need. Ephesians, chapter 6, Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the wiles and the schemes of the enemy. Do you know that word schemes and wiles is where we get our word methods from? The enemy has methods where he schemes. He studies you. He's strategic. He knows you. He knows your family life. And he's working strategically to take you out. And God says to keep the whole arm of God. And he was speaking to a community of believers. We do life in community. There's strength in community, not in isolation. And I'm telling you, I am the introverts of introverts. I like being by myself. But I need community. And so when the pandemic was happening, People at church saying, Pastor, he must be loving this shut, shut in lockdown. I say, I, I am not. You know what I'm realizing? Because I'm designed to be in community. And the difference between when I take 30 days off in July to rest, and then when I have to stay in my house, is when I take the 30 days off to rest, that's my choice. When a lockdown happens, I had no choice. There's a difference. So I became more aware of my need for community. And guys, we are strengthened in community. We are, we are forced to be reckoned with when we're united. Help me, Holy Ghost, you with me? We need to stay together. And the enemy work everything he can to divide and conquer us. And he uses this hurt, pain, unfair situations to isolate us from one another, even from the Lord. I remember years ago, I was going through uh, some hurt in my heart because the matter didn't go the way I, I wanted it to go. And the Lord put this in my heart one evening and he said, Mo, do not withhold your affection from me. And I'm like, Lord, I'm not holding my affection from you. He goes, yes. You, you, you tend to withhold your affection from those who have hurt you. And you feel that I have hurt you in this situation and you're withholding your affection from me. Some of you got hurts in your life from people. They feel hurt in your life toward God because of the way the situation went or didn't go. And I'm here to tell you, I believe God wants to do heart surgery on us tonight. Verse 9 says, do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves will not be judged. Remember Jesus' words that Matthew records in Matthew 7, 1? Judge not lest you be judged. The measure you use against another will be used against you. The scale you use to judge others will be the same scale that's used to judge you. Now, none of us want to be judged. Can I see any witnesses in the house today? How many want, to, none of us like to be judged, right? But man, don't we make good judges? Uh. Especially in the church, none of us want to be judged. But when they're, when they're putting out job descriptions for judges, we're the first to sign up. But look at, keep reading in verse 9, it says, Look intently 
the judge is standing at the door. Who's the judge? The Lord. The Lord of the tribe of Judah. When I was putting this teaching together, the song came to my heart. I'm going to date myself. It's okay, young people. Be patient with me. The Bible says be patient. The song Midnight Cry came to my heart. And the chorus goes like this. When Jesus steps out on a cloud to call his children, the dead in Christ will rise to meet him in the air. And then those that remain shall be quickly chained. At the midnight cry, we will be going home. Jesus, uh, James then goes on and gives examples of the prophets and of Job and how they endured, even though life was not very fair to them. And we see the story of Job, he came up better on the end. But I believe it's because of the way he postured his heart. How we posture our heart, we going through stuff, determines how we come out. None of us are exempt from trouble. Jesus even said, in the world, you're going to have trouble, but take joy. I have overcome the world with saying that I'm going to help you overcome too. I'm, 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 it's getting quiet here. Everybody in life has trouble. But what happens is we think we're the only one going through trouble. But all of us have trouble. But he wants to help us. As I go into my last verse and then tie this all together, look at verse 11. You know how we call those blessed happy who, who were steadfast, who endured, who have heard of the endurance of Job. You have heard of the endurance of Job and you have seen the Lord's purpose and how he richly blessed him in the end. In as much as the Lord is full of pity and compassion and tenderness and mercy. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, he is full of mercy, compassion, pity, and tenderness toward us. But he also is full of mercy and compassion and pity and tenderness toward those who have hurt us. We might not like it or think it, but his heart is crying out for them as much as his heart is crying out for us. Yesterday in the service, Kelly had us read Psalm 145. And it was one phrase that I absolutely loved, how he's faithful, his faithfulness and his enduring love toward all generations. Now, we like to think that just for ourselves and state that for ourselves. But according to James's words, he has pity and he wants to have pity and compassion on those who have even wronged us. So, Mo, you said a lot. So what do you say? This is what I'm saying. In the same way, God has pity on us. He has pity on other people. And God wants us to put the people in his hands and take them out of our hands. He wants us to take the situation out of our hands and put it in his hands. And that requires trust. In the same way the farmer waits for the harvest to come in and plants the seed and waters it and believes it's going to be returned. In the same way, he wants you to take that matter, that unjust situation, that unjust person, and put it in his hands and allow him to work because the Lord is standing at the door. The judge is standing at the door. He has the final verdict. He has the final say-so. And he wants to extend mercy and grace to them as well as to you and I. So, Mo, how do I do that? Three ways. Number one, we have to position our heart to choose to be willing to forgive. I'm not saying this forgiveness is an overnight thing. It's a process. But it begins with us acknowledging I'm hurt. I'm even hit. I'm mad. I'm angry. Probably killed him. 
That's the first step. And then the next step is to lament and grieve over the loss, over the pain, because you lost something. That's why it hurts. In, in the church, we're not really good on teaching on lamenting and grieving. That's why I love the Jewish culture. They know how to lament. They know how to celebrate. That's why I'm glad I'm adopted into Jesus' family because I'm adopted to you. But we don't know how to lament. We don't know how to grieve. We tuck it. We tuck it. We tuck it. And then we implode and we explode. But we need to lament and grieve the loss, the pain, what we lost. We got to acknowledge it. So that, therefore, we can then forgive from the heart. We love to quote Matthew 18, 35, where Jesus says, forgive from the heart. But we don't teach people how to forgive from the heart or give them space to forgive from the heart. Just forgive, get over it. But no, it's not that easy. We choose to forgive, but then God heals our hearts. And the problem is sometimes we get stuck to say, man, if I forgive that person, I'm saying that what they did to me was right. And that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness makes your heart right and puts that person in God's hand. We forgive, we, we lament, we grieve, and then the next is we release the hurt, the pain, what we feel we're owed. We cancel the debt, and we let the Lord bring justice. We all can tell what we feel we, we were due. I know I can tell the Lord what I feel I'm due. I can have a list, but it's not about that me canceling and releasing the offense and the offender so God can bring his grace and mercy to the situation. Final thoughts, and then we're going to pray. Don't be like the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18 who was tormented because he wouldn't cancel the debt of the person that owed them something, and the person that owed them something owed them less than what he owed, the king. God help us. God help us that we're holding grudges against people, and sometimes our debt is bigger. Okay, let me just keep going. God help us. A few things. Forgiveness doesn't mean that what was done to you is right. I mentioned this earlier. Forgiveness is for you to make you right. And I want you to notice that forgiveness and reconciliation is different. Forgiveness just takes you and God. Where reconciliation to occur takes you, the person or people you're offended at, and God. But to forgive doesn't take the other person. It's you and God. To forgive my dad didn't require my dad. It required me and God. Okay, I'll keep going. But to be reconciled requires both parties. Forgiveness puts the other person in God's hands and takes them out of yours. I know we like to think we would do a better job than God, but he wants us to give them to him. So are you ready to forgive? Are you ready to let God repay? Are you ready to lament and grieve and release and forgive from your heart? Because I, I believe that our destination and our future is at stake if we don't. I'm going to share a quick story and then we're going to pray. <clears throat> Several years ago, I had a huge offense in my heart. And I remember the Lord speaking this to my, in my heart quietly. And he said, Mo, if you don't deal with this, this is going to hinder your ministry and your effectiveness and it will eventually kill you. And later on, I did some study on unforgiveness. I, I, I just, I studied because of my own personal journey with that. I'm not getting up here to tell you something I read in the book. It's something I have walked and practiced. And in this book of studying on this topic of unforgiveness, it says unforgiveness is a deadly emotion. Left unattended affects you not just physically, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And I'm telling you, some of you guys are way down even tonight because you're carrying baggage of unforgiveness. And tonight is the night to let it go and leave it at the altar. Vengeance 
is mine, says God. I will repay. You just wait. You straighten yourself. You choose to forgive. And let God move in your heart from lamenting to grieving to releasing. And I've learned that I cannot do this alone. It's better to do it in community. I have some of my college friends here tonight, and you guys that were in my freshman class remember that chapel service where I wailed so hard I scared myself. I was on the probably the front row because I love sitting on the front row at chapel. We had a speaker speaking, Mark Williams, I believe his name was. And he was speaking about Paul telling Timothy to come before winter. Don't put it off. And the invitation I felt in my heart that he was presenting to us is don't put off and delay. Do it now. So I said, well, you know, I need to witness to my sister a little more. Let me just go to the altar and pray about that. And I got up to the altar and I'm kneeling down at the altar. And God begins to, now that he has my you know, I'm a captive audience. He begins to speak to me about my relationship with my father. And the moment he touched that place in my heart, I began to wail. Because my story is, I was like, mm -mm. but it was a story of forgiving and releasing and then going to my father and asking him to forgive me for what I held in my heart against him. So an altar doing this in communities is sacred because then I had people gather around me and prayed with me, but then they kept me accountable to do what I felt God was calling me to do. So I'm not going to ask you tonight to stay in your seat. That's easy. But I want us in community to acknowledge I have hurt, I have offense, I got pain, I'm acknowledging I have it, I'm going to take the steps to forgive, to release, to lament, so that my heart can be healed and my heart can be full. And I can let God take care of this case because it's too big for me. So let's pray. We're not going to sing a song. I asked Ruthie to come and play <clears throat> Holy Ground. The team's going to come up in a minute, but I don't want us moving by emotion of music. God's already speaking to your heart. And you just need to come to the altar and acknowledge. Acknowledge what he's saying to you and respond accordingly. So if you got to climb over somebody, climb over somebody. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We give you permission to move as we choose to forgive, release, and let you bring justice. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Can we just stand? I don't want to, I want to just stand. So if people want to get by, it's easier for them to get by. Can we just stand? If you've got to excuse yourself, just excuse yourself. That would be great. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for your beloved children. Your beloved children. Your beloved sons and daughters. Your beloved sons and daughters. Your beloved sons and daughters.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Beloved sons. Beloved sons. Dear as beloved, Thank you, Lurch. Yes, Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Those that are at the altar, just stay here. <clears throat> if you find if there's anyone that you know up here you want to come and pray with. If you want to make movement toward the altar, the team has one more song. They're going to sing and lead us in as we continue to honor the Lord as he's moving on the hearts of his people. <laughs> 